I'm glad you're here. As Jess mentioned in our host comments, uh, we are finishing up a teaching series today. We've been in this for, we've actually been in it for 15 weeks. Um, this will be week 13 of the series, but we had Mother's Day and Easter, and we did something else on those days. And so, uh, yeah, we've been in this one for a while. Now, if you're uh, joining us for the first time, it's okay, all right? We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Feel free to read it on your own. Feel free to go listen to any or all of the messages in this series. Uh, you haven't, I mean, you've missed something, okay? But you're not, you can catch up. That's what I'm saying, all right? There's plenty of time to do that. I'm glad that you're here with us today. We're about to go into the summer. School just finished up and schedules for a lot of people start to get crazy right now. And um, so through the summer, we're going to be doing what I call popcorn messages. <laughs> we're gonna have some themes and things, but each week will stand on its own. We're not gonna do a message that stands on the week before it and the week before it and the week before it. That way, if you're out of town or things are irregular or whatever, you're not gonna miss out on anything other than being here with us, which is our, our favorite time of the week. But um, you can always watch and catch the sermons and, and stay uh, in step with what the church is doing online. Check it out on YouTube or the website. But um, some of you are joining us online today, and I want to say welcome to you too. Uh, we're finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is going to put the exclamation point on the message. He is going to land the plane, and that's what we're going to do today with our message. And jump right into it. We're in Matthew chapter 7. And uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew covers what we know as chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Uh, when Matthew wrote this, he didn't put chapters and verses in there. We did that because it's helpful. And so we have Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as a Sermon on the Mount. We're at the very end of chapter 7. Uh, and so we are going to jump in on verse 24. Here we go. All right. So, if, by the way, I'm going to give you a second to get there if you're trying to get there. If you bought a print Bible with you, that's awesome. We try to put enough light in the room that you can read that during the sermon. Uh, a lot of you uh, use the app on your phone, and that's great, too. I think it's good to have one or the two, one of the two with you on Sunday morning. That way you just, every time, uh, this is why it's important. We put it on the screen, and you can read it just as well on the screen, obviously. But every time we open up the app on our phone or every time we open up the Bible in front of us, it gets us more and more comfortable and familiar with finding things and navigating and just having to open and reading it, and that's a good thing for us. Every time you open your Bible, your Bible feels more and more like home. So the more that you do that, the better. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, but, of course, if you don't have either of those things, we put it on the screen for you as well. And, uh, and for those of you that are curious, sorry, I'm, I'm, I know I'm kind of all over the place right now, but <laughs> for those of you that are curious, usually we read in the New King James Version. So if you want uh, to have your a Bible app on your phone already to a particular version, or you're looking to buy a Bible that you're going to read along with us at church, usually it's going to be New King James. Um, sometimes we use others as well, but usually NKJV. All right, now to verse 24, as I said. Sorry, Jess, my wife, Jess, who does host comments, is down here on the front row, and I just really read off of her facial expressions and things, which can be great sometimes, and also sometimes can be a little disorienting. Right now, she's breathing very heavily, like she wants me to move on. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. All right, we're going to go. Well, you got it. You're with me. All right, good. We. Can, I know, you got it, Matthew, first book of the New Testament. All right, anyway. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If you're not there by now, you're not getting there, okay? So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, so Jesus said all this stuff, okay? He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. He said, 
Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. What sayings is he talking about? Well, I mean, there's a little bit of a difference of opinion how far back to go, but I would say it's safe to say the entire message, (laughs) the entire sermon, whoever hears everything I just said and does it. Well, what did he just say? Let's recap, shall we? We've been in this for 15 weeks. We've covered a lot of ground. Jesus covered a lot of ground. And, and I, I like to think about this, to, to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's actually hearing this message for the first time. It's people, there, there are some religious leaders there, there are shepherds there, there are women there, there are children there. They're sitting down in a field listening to Jesus teach. And everything that we just took 15 weeks to, to pick through and talk through and explain and analyze, they had about 12 minutes to hear the entire thing. I mean, you want to talk about drinking from a fire hydrant. It was just like, just all, I mean, they're sitting there trying to process and listen and learn, and they caught it all like that at once. And so Jesus has said all of this stuff. Well, what has he said? Let's just recap. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's talking about what the kingdom is going to be like. He's talking about what they need to be like if they want to be good citizens of the kingdom. They want to be rewarded in the kingdom. And he says that the kingdom rewards people who are spiritually humble, people who trust in God's comfort, God's power, God's design, people who are pure of heart, and people who foster peace. And that we need to be those kinds of people even when the world pushes back on that, and it will. He said that he's the fulfillment of the law, that he wasn't doing away with the law, but that he was fulfilling and completing the law. And we described that. We had a picture up here of a bucket, and we had rocks in the bucket, and then we filled it in. If you were here, you remember that? That one was really helpful for a lot of people. He's the fulfillment of the law, of the rules. Now, the problem, the problem really isn't our inability to keep the rules. Ultimately, the problem is our heart. It's the sin that's in our heart, the pride, the anger, the greed that's in our, the selfishness in our heart. That we need to follow the Spirit, we need to work on this, and we need to help each other. But before we help each other, we need to work on ourselves. He gave the example of a plank and a speck. Why are you helping someone with a speck in their eye when you have a plank in your own eye? Take care of the plank, and then you can help people with a speck. But we are supposed to help each other with the specks in our eyes. We're all in this together. That our hearts are the problem, that they're the source of selfishness. And that leads to murder, it leads to adultery. He gave those examples that we need to release the anger and the vengeance that we have in our hearts toward others, even if they hurt us, that we need to be people of integrity, that we need to keep our word. He used the examples of marriage. He used the example of oaths that we make. We need to think about things more spiritually than physically. And so we need to put our hope in the coming kingdom, the reward that God is going to give us in the coming kingdom when we pray, when we fast, when we do good, He gave us a model prayer, a model prayer that was forward-facing, thinking about the kingdom, and that was selfless. He said that our treasure needed to be in heaven, not here. That We needed to be thinking about then and storing up reward there, not here. And so we don't need to worry about now or shouldn't worry about now. Our eyes should be up and forward on the kingdom. And that we need to trust in Jesus because he is the way, he is the gate. And that way may be narrow, but it's open, open to everyone. And you got to watch out because there are people that are going to teach us and demonstrate things other than what he said in the sermon. We need to be able to spot them when we see them and filter them out. So we've heard all of these things over the last three months or so, three or four months, we've, we've heard all of these things. But Jesus said that the person 
He will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock is whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. It's not enough to just hear them. Hearing them is not going to change anything. Doing them is going to change something. Doing them. That's the question that we need to, if we, as we get to the end of this whole message, all of these things that we've heard, all these things that Jesus has said, the question is, will I do it? <laughs> That's great. It's great to hear it. It's great to yes. It's great to nod. It's great to agree. It's great to talk about it. It's great. But the question is, will we do it? Will our lives actually change as a result of what Jesus has taught us? I think this statement in particular had a massive impact on somebody who was sitting right there listening to Jesus teaching this sermon. His name was James, one of Jesus' disciples. And James was so struck by this message as a whole that when he writes his letter that we know as the book of James in the Bible, there are tons of connections from what James says back to what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. Tons of connections from James to the Sermon on the Mount. But one of them, and maybe the most important one, is found right at the beginning of James, where he says this, this statement that Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. James says this near the beginning of his letter. Verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word. And that's why James's letter is all about action. It's all about doing, actually following through. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was, which is ridiculous, right? It's intentionally ridiculous. Of course you wouldn't. How silly to hear this and not go do it. But James says, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If we want to be blessed, if we want to build our house on the rock, then we not only need to hear what Jesus is saying, we need to actually do it. we got to go and actually do it, change something in our life. James says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. What he's saying is, you have liberty because you're saved. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Jesus did for you. He died on the cross. He rose again. You can put your faith in Jesus for salvation and be saved. It's not based on what you do. He said, and then so that, what that means is that we can be saved and then we can do what we do with our life. And that's going to determine how close we are to God, how close we are to each other, what kind of reward will be for us in the kingdom. But that is your choice. And so James says, he who looks into that option and says, I don't have to continue in this. I don't have to do anything. And yet chooses to do it anyway. I don't have to, but I choose to he will be blessed in what he does. And so Jesus looks at them and and looks at all these people that are listening. He said, listen, if you hear everything that I say and you do it, you take it seriously and you do it, you fly in the face of culture and the religious leaders that are teaching you right now to them and do it. Despite all of the challenges, despite all of the pressures, despite all of the temptation to go back into your old way of living, if you do it, 
you will be like a man who built his house on a rock. That is incredible. I know for many of you, you've been in groups throughout this series, and a ton of you, by the way. We have such a high percentage of people in our church that are in groups. It's awesome because what our groups do primarily is as we're building relationships with each other, we're also learning how to apply what we hear from Sunday. So we teach on Sunday, and then we have a study guide that the groups do, and you're learning how to actually take what we talked about and do it and holding each other accountable and building those relationships with each other and talking about really practical, here's my situation, how do I take this truth and apply it to my situation, and everybody helps each other. It's incredible, and that has helped you to to build your house on a rock through this series, Solid Ground. And we're finishing up the series today, and some of your groups may not be meeting through the summer, but don't let that stop. You You take the initiative and don't let it stop. So find people in your group that you've been holding accountable or have been holding you accountable, and over the summer, connect with each other. Maybe once a week, have coffee, breakfast, something like that. Stay connected to each other so that you don't lose this. So the things that you put in place and you chose to do during the series don't get undone over the summer and in the chaos and the inconsistency that that can bring. So you make that choice. That's up to you to do that over the summer. Build your house on the rock of this teaching. And what will happen? Jesus continues. He said, I'll liken this man to a a man who built his house on the rock. And then in verse 25, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Uh, we actually had a really great example of this. If you were watching the news over the last couple of weeks, um, if you saw this or not, but there was a house in Rodanth um, out at the Outer Banks. Not the house from Knights in Rodanth. All right, that's a different house. But there was a house in Rodanth. And that beach, um, over the years, the, the coastline has pre- been progressively regressing. The water's been coming and washing away the sand and getting closer and closer to the houses until now you have certain houses that are like basically in the water. And their pylons go down into the, into the sand or through the sand. And, um, but the water is, is right around these houses. And this, uh, like two or three weeks ago, one of them fell down. There's, a, there's actually, there's like dramatic video. Well, it's kind of slow paced, but still dramatic. It's like watching the Titanic singing. You know, you think it's going to be so spectacular, but it took a while. But um, this house collapsed. It was built in like the 70s. And when it was built in the 70s, it was, you know, there was beach in front of this house. Um, but now there isn't. A storm came in and the house collapsed and the, the ocean did not care. It just kept on doing what the ocean does. And it tore the house apart and pieces of that house washed way, way, way uh, down the coastline. It just took it out. Basically took this house out because the foundation wasn't deep enough, wasn't strong enough. It was built in the sand and it went down. And uh, that is very dramatic. Jesus gives the picture here of rains coming down from above, floods coming up from below, and winds beating on the house from every side. This is an all-encompassing storm, uh, which I could totally relate to. Just this past weekend, um, not this week, but last week, Jess and I got a chance to go to a couple nights to Savannah, which is a great city, by the way, really interesting. And 
we were coming back from Savannah, driving up 85, and we'd had thunderstorms all the way uh, on the way back, just like intermittent thunderstorms. And I thought, it, I thought we were done. I thought it was clear sailing once we uh, went through Charlotte. Skies looked fine. I thought we were going to be fine all the way home. And then we got about to Concord, and this storm, it looks like it just materialized out of nowhere. I don't know where it came from. I didn't see it coming. And, but this storm, all of a sudden, this dark cloud went over us, and it just, I mean, opened up. It was raining, just like the kind of rain where you've got your wipers on high and it doesn't matter, you know. It's not changing a single thing. You can barely see. Hail started coming down, so it was hailing on the car while we were driving down the highway. The water, the road was starting to flood, and so water was splashing up from below. There was wind coming from the sides. I felt like this storm was completely surrounding us, like we couldn't get away from it even if we wanted to. Some cars were trying. They had stopped under the bridges in all the lanes of traffic, (laughs) so the entire highway was shut down in places because cars were parked underneath the bridges. It was chaos. And so Jesus is talking about this storm that's coming, and this storm is so all-encompassing, so surrounding, that nothing is going to escape it. Whether your house is built on the rock or built on the sand, the storm is still coming. And there's a marked difference between these two houses. Now, we know, as Jesus gives us this analogy, we know what the um, the house is. We know what the foundation is. The foundation is that the rock is his teaching. It makes that clear. But what is the storm? It's an, in, it's an interesting question. Because I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as we might think that it is. I think there's a couple different options here. The first is sort of the, is sort of the obvious, and Jesus could mean both of these things. The, uh, the first is the most obvious, and that's that the storm that comes are the storms of life, that It's the difficulty that comes in life. And that if we build our house on the rock of Jesus' teaching, and by the way, building on the rock doesn't mean just hearing the teaching. It means doing the teaching. The building is the doing. We do these things, then when the storms of life come, they are not going to shake our faith. They are not going to change the foundation. They are not going to shake that. They're not going to take it away, that our faith will not waver as we face all of this stuff. And I think that's the most clear and obvious explanation of what the storms are. And it's probably what the people who were sitting there listening to Jesus teach assumed he meant. That was it's the most basic understanding. And that is 100% true, that if you build your life on the teachings of Jesus and you not only hear them, but you do them, when trouble, when difficulty, when all sickness, when relational difficulty, when all of that comes your way, if it's truly built on the rock because you're doing what Jesus said, then all of those things can't shake that foundation. That is true. But I also think there may be a bigger picture here of what the storms are that Jesus is talking about because he's talking about the kingdom. The story, this, is, this message is about the kingdom and how they function as citizens of the kingdom, not just how they have success or survive life. It's about the kingdom and being good citizens of the kingdom. And so I think there's a potential explanation here also that the storms are the judgment of God. And I don't mean the judgment of God between whether you go to heaven or hell. Not, not, the, judge, not the judgment of whether you're saved or not saved. That's determined by Jesus and his death on the cross and your belief in him, not by anything you do. But when our life here is done, even if our faith is in Jesus, we will still be judged. But we're not going to be judged negatively for the things that we did wrong, 
we're going to be, the, the quality of our work, the purity of our work, how we did what Jesus told us to do, will be judged in the matter of reward. So when we're in the kingdom of God, which is, uh, by the way, just as real, if not more real than what we're experiencing right now, and we'll have relationships and we'll know people and we'll have jobs and we'll do all that kind of stuff, just without sin, when we are in the kingdom, he, God is going to determine who he trusts and who has responsibility based on the reward. And he's going to put us in positions and all of that, the judge, ruled by a great king, the right king, a pure king. And he is going to put us in places of responsibility and work and everything that will be very fulfilling to us, fulfillment that we, I don't even know if we can understand now. And it will be based on the quality of the purity of what we do while we're here. There is reward for what we do. And so I think that there's a sense in which this judgment, uh, Paul talks about it like building on a foundation. He talk, he's talking about other teachers and how they're building on the foundation. And he said, the foundation is Jesus. And I built on top of that, and people will build on top and will build on top of that. And the quality of their work, he says, in that day, which is the day of judgment, in that day it will be shown. Some people build with wood and hay and straw, and some people build with gold and, jewel, and jewels. And God will pass all of that through fire, and anything that's wood and hay and straw will be burned up. So any time that we spent building in the sand, that is going to be wasted time in our life. Wasted energy, wasted effort. It's all just going to go away. He said, but the, what's good will remain. What's pure will remain. The gold will remain. The jewels will remain. And so I think Jesus may be saying the same thing here. But that storm is going to come. It is all-encompassing, and it will search through and seek through every nook and cranny and get to every spot and see the true attitude of our heart. God will see all of that in us. And everything that is built on the rock will stand, and everything that's built on the sand will fall. Now, whatever he's talking about, whether it's one or both of those things or whatever, the application is the same, right? The point is the same. The point is that we need to listen to what Jesus is saying. We need to take it seriously, and we need to do it. And that means changing. And if we listen to the entire Sermon on the Mount, and we change nothing, then we have failed to do the exact purpose that Jesus had for giving the sermon in the first place. Because I promise you there's not a single person in this room, not me or you, that is nailing all of this. We've all got something to do. We've all got something to change. We've all got a place where we've been digging in the sand and we need to put it on the rock. So that when that storm comes, the house we build stands. We haven't wasted our time, wasted our life, that our faith won't be shaky or insecure. It will be built on the rock. Do this stuff and your life will be rock solid. Jesus finishes with that. And then Matthew tells us this in verse 28. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, which is a phrase that Matthew uses. There are five discourses in Matthew, or big sort of monologue sections, and he always concludes it with, with that phrase, phrase to show us that he's, he's done with that particular teaching. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. 
for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus got done with this entire sermon, and the word astonish is such an interesting word. The, 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 uh, Matthew didn't write this in, in English, so the word that he used, though, is an uncommon word. It doesn't just mean to be amazed. It's not that. It literally means uh, to be expelled by a blow. So if you, like if you came to the door of my house and you opened the door and I wanted you out and I pushed you and hit you in the chest and knocked you out the door and out into the street, that's the word that would be used for that kind of thing. And so when Je- this is like what Jesus' teaching does to people is that. It takes the wind out of you to expel by the blow. Literally, they, they listened to his sermon and they were blown away by what he said. They couldn't believe it. Nobody had ever taught them like this before. Nobody had ever taught them like this before. And actually, we, um, I told you earlier, we usually read from New King James. New King James says, he taught them as one having authority. It's, it's more than that. What Matthew actually says is that Jesus taught them as an authority. That he was standing on his own authority not on someone else's. And that's what the scribes always did. The scribes, they would read from the scripture and they would quote other teachers and they would always be quoting someone else, but just relaying or regurgitating what someone else had said. And Jesus got up in front of them and said, this is what I say. And then he taught them what they knew when they heard it was true. That it was deeper, that it was realer, that it was more meaningful, that it was more godly, that it was more consistent, that it was more authentic, that it was purer than anything they had heard from anyone else. And he was saying it on his own authority. They couldn't believe it. It was strong. It was direct. And it was true. I was, uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and this, this, this same sort of dynamic struck me. They were a young, it's a young pastor. And we were having conversation about something. I don't remember what it was. But we were having a conversation about something that was sort of controversial. And he just kept quoting other people. Like, well, Augustine says, or so-and-so says, or this theologian says, or I read this book by this pastor, and da-da-da-da-da. He just kept quoting everyone else. And I was like, man, do you have an original thought in your head? Like, well, it just, it was, and I get it, he was young, so he maybe doesn't feel like he has a lot of authority to stand on, and so he's trying to stand on someone else's authority to, to have authority himself. I get that. But it was just weak. It was weak. It was like he hadn't really thought it through. He was just regurgitating what other people had said. And I think that, that, that that's the feeling of what people had experienced with the scribes and with their leaders, that it was just sort of weak. They were just sort of regurgitating the same things over and over and trying to stand on someone else's authority. And when they heard Jesus speak, they were like, this is different. This is, this is powerful. Because he was powerful. <laughs> Because he was standing on his own authority, because he could stand on his own authority as the Son of God, a member of the Trinity, the Word, the truth, the way, the life. And he had just dumped on them (laughs) the way to experience life. And they could see the difference. Before, they had just heard from salesmen, and they just heard from the inventor. Before, they had heard from lawyers. They just heard from the legislator. 
They had heard from orators, but they just heard from the author. It was deeper. It was better. It was truer. But the question was, being astonished like that, being blown away by what Jesus said, would they do it? Would they do it? He said there's two gates. One is wide and one is narrow. He said there are two trees. One is good and one is bad. And he said there are two foundations. One stands and one falls. Make the right choice. Got me thinking, though, with Jesus' analogy, why would anyone build on sand? Seems dumb, doesn't it? <laughs> like Practically speaking, think about the actual building analogy. Why would anybody build on sand? I can only, I can only think of a few reasons, like legitimately you're building a beach house and you build it on sand rather than on uh, bedrock, right? I guess one, you could be ignorant. You might just not know. You might not know that there's a difference between building on the rock and on the sand. Or uh, maybe you're obstinate. (laughs) You know it. You just don't believe it. You believe you can build strong enough on the sand to withstand the storm when it comes. I guess the other thing is that you might just be lazy. It's easier to dig in the sand than it is in the rock. It's easier to build on sand than it is on the rock. And so facing the teaching of Jesus and knowing that this is true and this is right and this is the best way to live, why would we do anything else? You know you've heard, so ignorance is not an issue. I can only tell you from my experience And witness to you that building on the rock works. I've seen plenty of people go through plenty of hard things. And there is a difference between people who have built their house on the rock of Jesus' teaching and they're doing what Jesus tells them to do and the people that are not. There is a difference. It is noticeable. And maybe you can look at your own life and you can look at people that you know and see what they've gone through and see the difference between people who have built their life on doing the teaching of Jesus and those who haven't and how they've gone through the storms of life. And so don't be obstinate and say, I can build just fine on the sand. (laughs) Because you're kidding yourself. You can't. And then, oh, please don't be lazy. It's easier not to do what Jesus is saying. It is. It's more human in some ways or more natural in some ways to not do what Jesus is saying. And so it's hard work. It's hard work to not fight back when somebody fights against you. It's hard work to not try and get glory for yourself when you're doing things, whether you're praying or fasting or whatever. It's hard work to be a peacemaker when the the situation is high in conflict. It's hard. It's not easy. The more you do it, the easier it gets. All right? The more you do it, the easier it gets. But it is never going to be easy to build your house on the rock. And so it's a choice you got to make. So don't be lazy. Do it. Do the hard work. Be faithful. 
Prepare yourself for the kingdom that's coming. Live as a citizen now. Experience the life he has for you now as you follow him. And if you do that, if I do that, we're going to put ourselves on solid footing. We're going to build our life on solid ground. That's it. All right. 15 weeks. There you go. All right. Okay. Let's take it. <laughs> I love it. Let's take a minute. Let's pray. Let's commit this to God. We're going to sing one more song that is going to reaffirm everything we've just said. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now and we say we love you. We want you to know that first and foremost. Uh, you've given us the opportunity to become your children, to be saved and forgiven. And we are so thankful for that. In your son, Jesus. So thank you for the gift, Jesus, you gave us on the cross, paying for our sin, rising again on the third day, knowing that we just have to believe in you and trust you for salvation, and we can be saved. But also knowing that you want us to walk in your way. And then if we're going to experience life now, if we're going to prepare for the kingdom, if we're going to become the people that you want us to be, then we need to set our footing where it needs to be. We need to build on solid ground, which means not only hearing from you and listening to you and agreeing with you and recognizing who you are and the authority that you do stand on and and believing that all of this is true and right and good. But more than that, we need to do it. We know that. And so... That's hard, and so we're so thankful, first of all, that you've given us the direction so we know what to do. We're also thankful that you've given us each other so that we can help because it's not always easy. (laughs) It's easy to get distracted and off track, and we don't want to do that. And so help to keep us focused. Remind us of the teaching. Maybe there's something in this sermon, God, for each of us who've been a part of this series, whether we've heard it all or part of it or whatever. Maybe there's one piece that you would bring up to us right now and remind us, you got to keep doing that. You got to keep doing that. You got to keep doing that. And if we continue in it, even the face in the perfect law of liberty, we continue in it. We continue in it, we will be blessed. Get grow closer to you, grow closer to each other. Grow closer personally to the image of Christ in our own life, reflecting your light and your love. Continue. Continue to to show us your love and your way. Wrap us in it as we walk this path. And lead us. Teach us. Embolden us. Empower us. Ultimately, for your glory, God, not for ours. That your name may be lifted up by our life. That your truth may be put forward by our life. As we worship you, as we serve you. God, we may be finishing our study of the Sermon on the Mount, but we're not finished with it. We're not finished with it. And it's not finished with us, so keep teaching us. 
And then as we step forward, as we prepare for the summer, for the fall, for everything that's ahead, continue. Continue. And our commitment to you is not only to hear, not only to listen, not only to agree, but to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.